0: Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome to
1: The Garden Show here on Zoomer Radio with Charlie Dobbin, aided and abetted by yours truly, Dean Holland. Good morning, Charlie. How are you?
2: Uh, good morning. I'm great. I love being a dancing gardener with you.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> indeed. Well, and it is the season, isn't it? There is lots of dancing gardens out there. <laughs> it's how, how, how was Spain?
2: How was Spain? Well, how can I sum up Spain in, in a sentence? Other than to say <clears throat> the weather was perfect. The food was delicious. Um, I, I, Barcelona is a lovely, lovely, walkable city. The art, The architecture to die for. Not a lot of gardens, frankly, but we did do an episode outside of Barcelona along the Catalonia coast, an episode of healing gardens in a beautiful botanical gardens and had a ton of fun doing that. So, yeah, Spain was pretty fun.
1: Wow, well I can I can't wait to see the episode. So, I sounds lovely. Um I know you have announcements to do, but I'm going to give out the numbers first and then we'll uh, give the uh, mic to you. So, uh, if uh, you have any gardening questions inside or outside, uh, and you live in Toronto, here's the number 416-360 0740. Or if you live anywhere outside Toronto in the province of Ontario, it's a toll free number, 1 740 4740. Please let Carlos know if you're a first time caller, and I'll give you those the garden wings. Please call often, call early, and one question per call, please, please. Okay. Uh, Charlie, what announcements have you got?
2: Well, a couple things going on this weekend. I'd like to remind everybody that the Toronto Botanical Gardens is hosting their annual Through the Garden Gate tour this weekend. So, today, tomorrow, 11 till 4. It's taking place in Riverdale in Toronto this year. So it's such a cool tour. It's um, actually 15 private gardens. Uh, Master gardeners are in each of those gardens to help answer questions and sit there and ooh and ah with you when you go through. But it's it's a very fun tour because they're they're always kind of – Eye-popping gardens, and of course, you get into the backyards, which is the most fun. Oh, yeah, and also today in Guelph. No, tomorrow, tomorrow, uh, June eleventh, one to five thirty. The Guelph Hort is uh, also showcasing gardens. It is a self-guided seven spectacular garden tour. There's music, there's artists, and master gardeners. So, for more information, that's triple W, Guelph Hort. So one word, Guelph Hort. Dot org. And if you're looking for something to do in the evenings, uh, this Monday night, the Agent Court Garden Club will be meeting at 730. Uh, there's a there's a flower show going on. And so if you're a competitive person, you can enter into that flower show and boast about all the ribbons you might win. The speaker is Clement Kent, and he is talking about growing fragrant lilies at the Knox United Church uh, sorry, Knox United Christian Education Centre, 2575 Midland Avenue. Then Tuesday evening, 7 p.m., the Pickering Garden Club. Uh, they've got Ginny Sage speaking on shrubs for all seasons. And they meet at the O'Brien's rooms in the Chestnut Hills Rec Complex on Valley Farm Road.
1: Fabulous. That is a lot of announcements. There's a lot of stuff happening. But it is the time of year, right?
2: For sure. Everybody's in their gardens, busy and enjoying, enjoying the the evolution of the garden. Because, of course, we're past spring now. We're getting into early summer.
1: Lovely. Okay. Um, We have callers on the line, including a first-time caller. But before we get to those, we have to take a bit of a pause. We'll be right back with much more on The Garden Show.
0: Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin exclusively on Zoomer Radio.
1: Yes, indeed. We are back here on The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Charlie, as I said, we have lots of callers on the line. Let's get to that first one. We have a Zoe on the line, and she's calling from Toronto. Welcome to The Garden Show, Zoe.
3: Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm calling in regards to my climatic. I planted it last year um, and uh, followed all the instructions, uh, etc. So now I have a lovely plant that's about a good feet tall leaves are healthy everything looks good except i don't have one bud not one flower nothing
2: <laughs> okay so here's the here's the um, bottom line be patient clematis is a plant that does not instantly settle into your garden and i've over the years i've known many um Go, you know, hobby gardeners who plant it and then get disappointed and move it and get disappointed and move it. And the poor little plant never actually gets settled in and so never actually can thrive. It sounds like you're doing everything right. The main thing is patience. It'll be, it, it needs to get its roots down into the ground. It needs to get established. It usually takes as much as three or four years to really get the best show oh, from your clematis. Uh, so remain uh, calm. But i just... Should I at least fertilize it or something? or? Um, if, when you planted it, if you put it into a good fertile soil, you know, well-drained, sunny location, remember it wants its head in the sun, it wants its feet in the shade. Um, I, you you know, can fertilize if you haven't. But uh, I wouldn't be overly concerned about fertilizing. Just let it do its thing. Let it be a green plant. If It'll probably pop a few buds at some point. It's only the first week of June. So be patient. There's still a chance for it to, to bloom this summer.
3: Okay, I'll, I'll wait. I was going to move it. You're right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, Leave it alone.
3: <laughs> I put the little stones and everything to keep the feet Uh, nice and cool and everything just
2: followed everything and i'm disappointed okay i'll wait okay don't be disappointed you're gonna love it okay (laughs) thank
1: you you're welcome okay the good old clematis yes so we have to be patient i'm i'm exercising patience with mine as well so i'm just i'm keeping the faith
2: well but you also i think pruned yours for the first time ever i did
1: (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. and then i was afraid then i've been afraid i killed it so now i'm just waiting (laughs) so we'll see we'll see okay Okay, we are we're staying in in the city of Toronto we've got another Toronto caller we have Isabel on the line welcome to the garden show Isabel
4: Uh, hello Uh, Hello. I'm from Oshawa by the way
1: (laughs) oh okay that's okay well welcome yeah welcome Oshawa Uh, I
4: have a question Charlie Um, I have a black swallow wart vine dog strangling vine it says and I have used vinegar and salt and dish soap on it twice, and it's not doing anything. Uh, uh, I pulled out whatever I could, and I can't reach a lot of it before it goes to seed. It did last year on me, and I, I live in an apartment, but I ha- I'm on the main floor, and I have my own rock garden and everything, and I'm afraid it's going to kill everything.
2: Um. I don't know
4: what else to do to get rid of it.
2: Yeah, it's a very tough one to get rid of. There's no question. Uh, have you tried? I So okay, you mentioned salt and you mentioned vinegar. So a couple of things. There's horticultural vinegar, which is much different than the vinegar we put on our French fries. So if you're going to, meaning it's a much more, it's a stronger solution of Acetic acid. So if you're going to use vinegar, use horticultural vinegar and use it early in the season when the plant is young and the leaves are soft and green and tender.
4: That's when I used the other one. Pardon? That's when I used the other one. I used it when they were only about three or four inches high. I I recognized them from last year.
2: Mm -hmm. Okay.
4: So I need to use horticulture vinegar.
2: Yes. Horticultural vinegar for the future. If you're going to go vinegar, salt, the way salt works is it poisons the soil. So the drag of using salt is you can kill plants with salt, but you also can't replant for a number of years afterwards. Uh, So that can be um, a challenge when we use salt as a herbicide. Have you
4: considered Roundup? Uh, No, I didn't know what to get. My son-in-law uses the vinegar uh, mixture to kill poison ivy every year as soon as it starts Mm -hmm. to come out, and that's where I got the recipe from.
2: Oh, okay, right. So, and and so that's too bad that it didn't work for you. But dog strangling vine is a very hard plant to kill. Um, I'm just double checking what they're saying on the, um, you know, Ontario. um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can obviously um, in the Ontario the government, sorry, the Agriculture Ministry of Agriculture is always interested to know where these problem plants are because remember this is a very big problem plant. There is an invading species program which they love if you will um, report a sighting of this plant. There's also a hotline, a 1 800 number. So um, I would recommend going on to there. Just You might get some good advice. Uh, there's also a couple of good websites, Land Owner's Guide to Controlling Invasive Woodland Plants. Bottom line is I'm on a website right now. It's Ontario.ca. Uh, so
4: I don't have nothing to do with computers. I know nothing about computers.
2: Well, maybe, um, maybe you could just talk to your son. He can look it up for you. Ask him to just Google dog strangling vine and tell him that you're having some issues controlling it. Because the bigger, and, and the, like you say, when it goes to flower and seed, that's just not a good thing. Um, I know. Even if it's with a snipper, you know, like a, a line trimmer going in and cutting down the flowers before they go to seed it would be great uh it's it's a it's a fast growing very invasive vine and something we have to do everything we can to control so um yeah there, there is good stuff on the web and maybe your son your son could help you with some of that uh, research and roundup is available to control invasive plants it's lot it's under lock and key in the garden centers but if they're smart, they'll say to you, "Why do you want it?" And you'll say, "I want to control dog strangling vine or poison ivy." And they'll sell it to you, and then you'll follow the instructions, but you'll use twice the concentration that's recommended on the package.
4: Okay. The problem I have with getting a hold of it is the the uh, the ground drops off where the rock garden is, and then it drops off uh, right near where the vine is. And I pulled everything out I could and. I'm afraid to get too close to the edge in case I fall. I'm 81 years old, and I'm scared of falling. Oh, I don't blame
2: you at all. For sure. Yeah, this is I where, again, you need a young person to help. So yeah, whether it's I one of your kids or
4: uh, uh, it's... Like, I'm sorry.
2: Well, no, you may find that calling this hotline, this 1-800, if you have a pencil, you can write this down, five six three seven 5, 6, seven 3. one one. Okay, is I the, the
4: Invading I Species
2: the Hotline. Do
4: you have a pencil? 563. What's the other numbers? 7711. 7711. One. One, one. Thanks, Charlie. Yep. Good luck with that. I really that. appreciate you helping me, and I really enjoy your show every week.
1: Thank you. All okay. Right. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Isabel, and good luck with your. That's. Uh, yeah. That sounds like quite the problem. Okay. Uh, I have to take it. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back with much more on the Garden Show.
0: Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem? Then you've got the Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yes, indeed. We are back here on the Garden Show,
1: and I got to tell you, Charlie, that sounds like. Like, it sounds creepy, overwhelming and scary, that, that dog strangling vine.
2: I know. And, well, it's a very rapidly growing plant. That's the kind of why they, it strangles your dog while it's sleeping, you know, in the garden. Not really, but it will strangle plants and trees because it goes quickly and it just overwhelms other plants. But here's an inter, you know, fun factoid. The plant can produce up to 2,400 seeds per square meter. The seeds, of course, are spread by the wind, and new plants can grow from root fragments, making it difficult to destroy. So it's really, it's invaded all over southern Ontario. It's a a very problematic plant, so something we should all be aware
1: of and do whatever we can to control it. And is it uh, something that was brought over, or is it indigenous to here?
2: It was brought over, I'm not sure from where, but it was first found in Ontario in the late 1800s.
1: Oh, okay. So it's been here for a while, but it just keeps spreading. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, everybody has to keep their fingers crossed that they uh, knock on wood that they don't get it Mm -hmm. in their space. Yes, indeed. Uh, Or
2: if you do get it, know what it looks like and be right on top of eliminating it as soon as you can.
1: Okie dokie. Okay, let's go to our next caller. We're actually going south of the border for this one. We are going to talk to Michelle, who lives in Buffalo, New York. Welcome to The Garden Show. Michelle?
5: Yes, good morning, and thank you for taking my call. I'm calling about my cotton, my snowball bush that became infected last year with that gray bug. Um, It's actually a 20-year-old tree now. It's about 25 feet tall. And I didn't use the dormant spray like Charlie said to use in March or April, and it became infested again. And now my leaves are all chewed up and the flowers died. And I don't know what I can do at this point to save it for next year.
2: Hmm. Okay. So what you've got, so you're calling it a snowball bush. Uh, Sometimes it's called um, highbush cranberry too, because it does get the round white flowers and then red berries. It is a viburnum. It's a lovely, lovely plant. It's very edible to a very specific insect that only eats that plant called a viburnum leaf beetle. And that it's a small little black beetle, but it, it, you know, it starts with one, and before you know it, you've got a 1,000. And they can defoliate the plant almost overnight because they're hungry, hungry insects. So what are you going to do? Well, at this point, if there's any leaves left on the plant at all, I would, and you said it's 25 feet high, even just a, a spurt, like a high-pressure water in your hose just to try and blow off whatever insects are on the tree Today, I would do, like I said, assuming that there's any green leaves left, try and salvage what's still there. Um, new leaves will grow if the plant is happy and healthy. So your job is to provide TLC to the plant, whether it's fertilizer or some good organic you know, compost around the base. Um, do everything you can to keep the plant healthy and happy. And it will regrow leaves this year. However, they won't do this forever and ever. It can only regrow leaves, twi- like do two sets of leaves per season for so long before it just mm-hmm. runs out of steam and the plant will die. So, yeah, it's a, it is a challenge. Um, I'm wondering maybe even bringing in a, uh, an arborist, bring the plant down to a smaller size so that it's more manageable, might be um, a good idea as well.
5: And then do the dormant spray in the March or April next year
2: before spring comes? Exactly. When the plant is dormant, when there's no leaves yet emerged, that dormant spray can be very effective at killing overwintering insects.
5: Okay. And had I done that, I probably would not have had this problem again this year
2: probably not or at least it wouldn't be as a big impact as it is that's that's the challenge um, they sometimes we can we trim yeah but then you don't get the flowers so yeah there's certain things you can try and do but uh, you you know it's one thing to have a few insects on a plant but when you've got thousands it just devastates the plants and i've never
5: seen the plant turn to the berries i've never seen the big white oh. flowers turn to berries
2: oh okay pollination so okay you might Okay. It might just be that it's too, see, it's a lot of energy for plants to produce flowers and produce berries when they're being eaten alive. So that might be part of it too. You just okay. need to support the growth of the plant and the happiness of the plant and do what you can to eliminate the insect.
1: Thank you very much.
2: Thanks for okay. calling.
1: Yeah, thanks, You're Michelle. Welcome. Uh, good reminder again, you mentioned that a lot that it takes a lot of energy, and i I am guilty of forgetting that 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 again if something we do the same thing right if we 're not feeling well, we sort of conserve our energy and we we make do we don 't do the extras
2: yeah, rest in bed, drink plenty of fluids, yeah if, if the plants could only do that right
1: <laughs> yeah, fair enough, yeah, so we so we we do what we can to help them along, yeah for sure
2: yeah because. I mean, stressed plants, I mean, I, I just was walking around my garden when I got home from my Spain trip, and Elliot was showing me everything he'd been doing, because he did a very good job watering. I guess the, the weather here while I was gone was pretty intense, super hot, super windy, super dry. And then when I got home, it had cooled off. But I left and my lawn was green. And a week later, I came back and my lawn was parched yellow. So I know it's been hot and dry. And there's um I have several Scots Pines, little dwarf Scots Pine trees on my property and they didn't look quite right and when I looked closer I discovered uh, quite an infestation of an insect. It's a little tiny, tiny white insect called an Adelgid, silly name A-D-E-L-G-I-D Adelgid and Uh, Yeah. Why was that insect on those pine trees? Because those pine trees are not happy and they're stressed and they needed water. And the insect took advantage of the stress level on the pine trees. So I got out my like my hose, like I mentioned to Michelle and uh, everybody with white pine or Scots pine or even mugo pine should check their pines because there's, there's a bit of a infestation going on if the pines are suffering uh, from drought or heat or anything unusual. And I just stood there with my hose going, each bud, because the, t- the tips of the branches, they're all in bud now, I with a pretty sharp pressure of hose, I just blew all these insects off obviously, onto the ground. They don't move very fast, so they're not going to be climbing up very quickly, but blew them down onto the ground and in the process not only cleaned the plant off but watered the plants. And um, they look a lot perkier now, and I'm hoping that uh, I didn't eliminate all of the insect, but I'm hoping that the plants are happier and will be able to withstand an insect infestation that will not kill the plant if the infestation is not out of control.
1: Right. I have to say uh, I am praying for rain this week because it has been very dry up our parts as well. I, I can't even keep up with the watering because it needs so much uh, on the property. So I very uh, I'm, uh, I was happy to get some just the other day, but it didn't last very long.
2: We got a little bit of rain here yesterday afternoon, and we're, you know, fingers crossed, uh, very excited about it raining all day Monday uh, Yes, our forecast. So that's going to be very exciting because, oh, yeah, no, it's not just the sting on top of watering, but it's watching my well drop at the same time.
1: Right. Of course. Yes, that's a whole other issue. OK, let's go to uh, we have Sharon on the line from West Lauren. Uh, welcome to the Garden Show, Sharon.
6: Thank you a happy new year but anyway um (laughs) what i want to talk about is um my iris um they finished flowering and i just want to know if when i dig them up now what will i do with them uh till fall again till i plant them again
2: like oh so why do you you want to dig them up now pardon why do you want to dig them up
6: I just want to place them someplace else and whatever in that too. So do I wait till fall to do that or?
2: Yep. Your best time to dig and divide Iris is in August. Oh, okay. Okay. That's yes. fine. So if, if you can wait and just leave them where they are oh, until August, then yeah. go to town when, it, you know, it's going to be hot through July and August, but towards the end of August when things cool down, Lift them all out of the ground. Double check that they're uh, firm. The roots are nice and firm. Uh, There's no evidence of borers because iris borer is a real big problem. And and they just turn them into mush. So if you have any insect infestation, compost or garbage right away uh, or fire pit, whatever you wish, and then, um yeah, that's a great chance to divide and because irises will stop blooming because they get so overcrowded so that's it's a great thing to do in August if you can is dig divide replant
6: okay so I I, I don't ha- I can just leave them in the ground till August then and then dig them up and then pl- replant them again someplace else exactly okay, that's fine thank you very much have a good day both of you
1: thank you you as well thank you for. Thanks for uh, Charlie, we have something in our garden uh, that I know to be called uh, Japanese iris. Is that um, is that a thing there? There, uh,
2: yeah. There's a bunch of irises. So okay. there's bearded irises, which uh, come in so many colors, like every color of the rainbow. I think I, I think there's I think they they come in every color. Yeah, and they're beautiful. There's short ones and tall ones. Uh, Ruffles, like the irises are, you know, big. Those are the ones that grow from a rhizome. Then there's Siberian irises, which do not grow from a rhizome. They grow just from roots, almost like a daylily, uh, with beautiful blue, like just sky blue flowers. But they like a moist Semi-shaded location, unlike the other irises, which want lots of sun. And then Japanese irises are another kind of iris. And uh, they're the ones that if you had a water feature on your property, you would think about using Japanese iris uh, because they love moisture.
1: Gotcha. And, and uh, we inherited it when we bought the house about a dozen years ago or so. And, uh, you know, it, testament to your being patient, we dug them up. It wasn't easy. I had to chop this round, big round section up and then we placed them all in different sections. And now two years later, we're reaping the benefits this year because now they're all thriving and we're getting it looks like about 10 times what we had before because now and there were they're all in just starting to bloom now.
2: Good. Yeah. Well, and that's right. That's that dividing that you did. They, they are such prolific plants that they get really, really crowded together and then they don't really flower at all. It's just a bunch of leaves.
1: Yeah, that's what we had. We, we felt like we lost them all because they were so beautiful and then we lost them all. And then last year, again, after we transplanted the first year, uh, we didn't get a lot of blooms. This year now it's just bursting. And so now, as I say, we're we're feeling like our patience is uh, rewarding us now.
2: So take pictures. And speaking of taking pictures, how are the allium looking on your property?
1: Oh, oh they're good. <laughs> they're really good. Yeah, and I guess some of the smaller ones are still yet to come. So they're they're opening up at different times. But oh, yeah, all the big purple ones are just lovely. I love is, them.
2: Is it a showstopper? Our car screeching to a halt? When well,
1: they- I. I like to think so. Anyway, <laughs> I'm going to have to park myself out on the front lawn and see. But yes, no, they are very, very what nice.
2: What is that plant? Yeah, yes, no, no. you them. planted a couple of hundred, though, it seems.
1: We did. Me. Yeah, no, we did. We planted quite a lot of them. Okay, uh, numbers again, 416-360-0740 is the Toronto number, or 1-866-740-4740 is uh, anywhere outside Toronto in the province of Ontario. It's toll-free. Give us a call if you have a question uh, inside or outside gardening. Let's go to uh, Barbara now. She is uh, in Mississauga. Welcome to the Garden Show, Barbara. Hello.
4: Thank you Where for taking
7: my call. Um, I have a question. Uh, my husband and I do a little volunteering in our condominium, which is on 7 Acres, and we have a vast garden. One of our residents gave us a lavender tree. And um, I want to know, I, we went and planted it, but I have a feeling that it won't survive the winter in in uh, our area. So I want to know more about the plant
2: well what i 've seen for sale uh, as a lavender tree is usually in bloom, and the flowers are like a two tone it 's like a light purple and a dark purple, and they 're very showy, very pretty and they are not hardy they will not survive the winter that is a a form of lavender that 's gorgeous but also acts like an annual in in our world in southern Ontario. The only hardy lavender that will survive winter is not typically grown as a tree, and it uh, tends to be you know, lower to the ground and should survive winter, assuming that there's snow cover and all that sort of regular uh, winter stuff to keep it alive. Is it possible to
7: leave it? In, we were going to take it out of the ground, put it in a pot, and then bring it in
2: in the pool area in our condominium for the winter. It, yeah, yeah, that can definitely work. One thing I would suggest, but I guess you've already planted it, I would have just left it in the pot. And I, if you want it to look like it's in the gar- the garden, just leave it in the pot and bury the pot in the garden. And then it's much easier to lift in the fall. You just right. really need to wash it all up. And, yeah, taking it into the pool area by the end of August, give it a real good cleanup with a soap solution before you bring it indoors. And uh, assume that it's going to want a sunny location in the pool area. So, uh, you know, hopefully you've got some kind of you know glass wall somewhere where you can provide lots of sun. And uh, And, yeah, it should do fine inside for the winter. Okay, thank you very much.
1: Have a good day. Okay, thank you, and uh, yeah, good luck with that. That that, uh, sounds like it could be a big pot, I suppose, there as well, Charlie. I guess that's the challenge.
2: Well, for sure, it'll get bigger. Usually they're sold in like a 10-inch pot Mm. at this time of year. Any of the tropical plants that you'll see in the garden centers, you know, the hibiscus, the datura, the mandevillas, all those are 10-inch pots. Mm -hmm. And then if you keep them alive over the winter for a couple of years, you got to move them up into bigger pots usually. Right.
1: And I would assume that a lot of those plants that you just mentioned, maybe including those lavender tree, would appreciate the humidity that they would have in that pool area?
2: Yeah, most of them would. Remember, not all plants are from tropical rainforests, but every plant that is from a tropical rainforest loves the humidity. Mm -hmm. Some plants are are actually more designed for the arid, cool, sunny locations. I tell you, you know, you grow rosemary at your house? Mm -hmm. (coughs) I saw a rosemary bush in Spain. On the, in the botanical gardens. It was as tall as me, and probably two meters wide.
1: Wow. And was it aromatic? Could you smell oh, it?
2: Oh, totally. Yeah. Just run your hand over the bush. So it wasn't blooming when I was there, but it was beautiful. Like the size was wow. Because, you know, we grow rosemary to 10 inches tall, and then it dies in the winter. So that's a good example of plant that we bring in in the winter not necessarily wanting a ton of humidity because rosemary will get all covered in mildew if you
1: give it too much humidity. Right. Okay. I uh, have to take a short break, but we'll be right back with much more on The Garden Show.
2: Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and
5: Forsythia and foxclubs, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams.
0: You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on (coughs) Zoomer Radio.
1: Hey, welcome back to The Garden Show on Zoomer Radio, and we're uh, here with Charlie Dobbin. I am uh, Dean Holland, and uh, Charlie, my, you'll have to help me here, Charlie. My, my screen has reduced, and I can't see who the next caller is, so you'll have to... Uh, I'm just trying to look at... Oh, looks like Susan in St. Catherine's. Right, let's go to Susan. Okay.
7: Hello. Good
2: morning. Hi there.
7: Thank you for taking my call.
2: No worries. What's going on in your garden?
7: I have an issue with my boxwood. I have the boxwood caterpillar and tree moth, and Mm. most of them are crispy and burnt. And does that mean that the whole plant is dead?
2: Yep. It means that the the plants will not survive. And even if they do survive, they are just going to be uh, infested again. So okay, my then. suggestion is you get rid of them, pull them out because uh, it's not the, it is a huge problem. The uh, the box. I'm just double yeah. checking looking for my information here, but yeah, you cannot control that insect.
7: Yeah, <clears throat> However, apparently it's it's really an issue here in in Niagara.
2: Yeah, yeah, believe that. Well, have you got, is it like a big, has it a hedge that you've got, or what is, what is it?
7: I have a hedge, and I have a couple of uh, other little bushes, and they're, they all
2: um, have the
7: burnt leaves.
2: Mm. There, okay, so remember, like this year we haven't had it bad, but there's an insect that was quite a problem the last three or four springs it used to be called Gypsy Moth, and then it was renamed Spongy Moth. Um, and the recommendation to control that was to use a product called BTK, so B as in Bob, T as in Tom, K as in Kite. And that stands for Bacillus thuringiensis. It is a bacteria in a bottle, and it does make the plant poisonous. Now, that is recommended also for the box tree moth that you've got, but the problem is you needed to get that on sooner than later, while before the plants turned crispy. Uh, As soon as you saw a little bit of evidence of um, curled or missing leaves, you needed to get that on there. So I'd be inclined to just say, forget it, pull out the hedge, start with something else. Um, You know, you can still get that look, that shiny green leaf hedge look, without actually growing boxwood.
7: Yeah, it was just this spring, all of a sudden, all of these things turned brown.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fast. You know, so that's what happens. We never just get one insect, we get thousands. And they are very quickly can devastate, you know, a whole species on the property. And of course, that's what happens when we have monocultures like hedges, right? They're all the same yep. plant. You know, one insect goes to town, and all of a sudden the whole hedge is infested. So it is really a problem. Um, yeah, uh, it was. It, it's a brand new insect, really. It was first found in Etobicoke in 2018. So it's still a fairly new insect here in Ontario, and we are being taken by surprise when all of a sudden uh, something like a boxwood hedge or a big boxwood suddenly just goes crispy overnight. Okay.
7: Thank you very much.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: Okay. So yeah. Good luck with that. Sorry. Yeah. That's a uh, wow. That's almost that's overwhelming,
0: mm-hmm.
1: especially if you've had it for a while and you get used to it, right? And uh, and then all of a sudden gone. And yeah. You, you just your head's spinning.
2: I know, exactly. You know, it takes 20 years to grow a beautiful hedge, and then all of a sudden it's annihilated. So, But there are options. Um, One that I really like is a plant called Inkberry. So just the way it sounds, Inkberry. It's not a boxwood. It's a um, holly. It's a form of holly, but it's not prickly. Uh, And it's a really good boxwood replacement.
1: Okie dokie. Okay, you know, we're going to go to our next caller. We've got Helen on the line from Mississauga. Welcome to The Garden Show. Helen?
5: Oh, hi. Uh, hi. How are you, Dean and Charlie? And good, Dean, good. I was going to be, if I had been a boy, I was going to be a Dean. Anyway. Oh,
6: nice. <laughs> there you go.
5: <laughs> anyway, I wanted to just ask you, Um if I've got a big lilac bush, giant size one, out uh, in the, at the side of my house, and I, the lilacs are all dead now, so I mm. wanted to cut it back, and I wanted to know if this is a good time to cut it back, and then mm. when should I uh fertilize it again?
2: And with what? Okay. Okay, good questions. Uh, When the flowers are finished on any flowering shrub, including lilacs, that's the time to prune because oh. if you prune now, you'll be taking out the dead flowers, you know, they're past their prime. Yeah, <clears throat> you'll also be setting the plant up to produce buds so it will bloom next year, next spring. So, Perfect. if you're ever going to trim a lilac, you trim it right after it blooms. So, your timing is good. Get out there today, get your chainsaw, get go to town, bring that tree or shrub back into control. It sounds very large, yeah. <clears throat> you could fertilize. You said you had fertilized. Did you fertilize once yet this year? No. No. Right. Um, so it's, we're still in a really might, good optimal oh, um, timing for fertilizing any of our garden plants. The plants are actively growing. It's early June. There's rain coming. It's a really good time to, pre- to pre- um, present fertilizer for the plants. And they're in a good position to use it now. Okay. Don't be fertilizing in August and September. Do it now. Um, with what? Depends what what kind of fertilizer, whether you like to mix it up in a watering can or, uh, and if you are, then just any of the blooming, you know, the miracle Grow, something like that, the blue stuff, mix it up, water that all around the the drip line of the tree, of the shrub, so a big wide circle around the shrub. Uh, Or the granular where you pretend you're feeding the chickens and you broadcast it out there and and an all-purpose or any flowering plant fertilizer is what you want. Okay, perfect. All okay. right. Well, thank you very much. You're
1: thank, you very thank
2: you,
1: Helen. Yeah, enjoy your uh, your lilac. I know I have to get out there and trim mine. I guess too. You've, I keep making notes during the show. You know, <laughs> I was you know, going to say
2: <laughs> you're going to have a whole big
1: list. <laughs> yes, I do. I was just trying to picture Helen out there with a chainsaw. With all due respect, <laughs> good for her. So I would not be comfortable with a chainsaw. I'm there. You know, maybe a little one, but uh, oh
2: no, oh. they got lovely small battery operated ones now nice
1: it's on my wish list is it oh okay well there you go (laughs) hopefully elliot has heard that there you go
2: yeah i think he has to win a lottery first
1: (laughs) (laughs) fair enough okay we have to take a short break we'll be right back with much more on the garden show
0: don't change stations just because the weather changes garden tips and advice all year round this is the garden show with charlie dobbin exclusively on zoomer radio Oh, yeah, we're back here on The Garden Show, and we have a couple of callers on the line,
1: including... Oh, yeah, we have, we're have we going to Richmond Hill now. Yeah, we've got uh, Joanne on the line. Welcome to The Garden Show, Joanne. Hi. I have a question Hi there. for Harvey.
8: Um, I yep. have a... I think it's a white rock crest snowdrift, I think, because I lost the tag, and I'm trying to match up the picture on the Internet. <laughs> anyway, it's grown huge... It flowered really, really beautifully, and it's about four feet by five feet wide. And it flowered beautifully, then the flowers fell off, so now I have long stalks with the seeds on them. My question is, do I cut those seeds off? And the other question is, how can I split this up?
2: Oh, Um, so similar to creeping flocks, which is an early blooming, spring blooming matte forming kind mm-hmm. of perennial if you've got rock cress, which you probably do arabis is the proper name a-r-a-b-i-s and um just like i was gonna say just like creeping uh flocks you would do the same um shearing do you have uh cutting tools with long blades yeah that because that's you get down on your hands and knees when the flowers are done you just shear the the, the whole plant Uh, all those little curled up flowers and seeds, et cetera, will drop to the ground. Take your hand and just give a little brush to the plant and it'll all just be there as a green plant for the rest of the summer. If you want to move some of it, you'll find it's fairly shallow rooted and it's just get a sharp trowel and just go in at the edge. Well, depending on how much you want to move it around, uh, you basically just have to undercut the roots and take out chunks of the plant and move them anywhere you want.
8: Okay, so when I take the long shears to them, I don't cut into the leaves, though, right? I stay right above
2: the leaves? Yeah, exactly. And it, you you will cut a few leaves in the process. It sounds like it's a pretty good clump, but not to panic. Because it's just like when we prune anything... Uh, particularly at this time of year when plants are actively growing when we prune we get more growth and we get dense growth like very attractive compact growth which is why you're going to do this by doing that shearing you're going to get more green growth but it's going to look great like it's just going to be nice and, and shiny and dense and and good looking
8: okay and i can split it now yeah okay good
1: okay yeah, yeah, good luck with that, Joanne. Sounds beautiful, beautiful, like that rock crest. Yes, indeed. Uh, Charlie, we're going to end off uh, with a a first-time caller. Yeah, we've got uh, Anne on the line who's calling from Waterloo. Welcome to the Garden Show, Ann.
3: Hi, Charlie.
1: Hi. Good morning. I, I, you are a first-time caller, yes? I
3: am. I've never called in. I've listened to your show for the past couple
1: years now. Okay, here we go you get Jeez. your garden yes. wings. Jeez.
3: There you go. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, I have a question regarding my grapevines. I mean, they're about seven years old, and they're very dense. So dense that I just realized the cardinal has put a nest in my vine. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> uh, but I've never managed to get grapes from my vine, and I'm hoping you can help me with that.
2: Okay, so years of growth, but no flowers and no grapes. Flowers, no grapes. It's, huh.
3: it's huge right now with so many little. I could see all the little round, you know, vines coming oh. out with what's going to be grapes, but I always lose them.
2: Oh. Um. Okay. So, do we know what kind? How many? How many did you plant? How many plants? I only have the. One. Oh, should I have planted okay. two? Um, no, no. Um, I just wondered. Uh, sometimes people plant so many they plant them too close, and then they all get really all tangled up. Um, hmm. Uh, you know what? I so you you see evidence of flowers and you see evidence of grapes, but you don't see uh, actual grapes, like no actual fruit.
3: No, by the end of the season, I lose them all. They tend to go black really quickly, and mm.
2: huh. I don't. I don't oh. end up. Oh. Great. All right. Um, so you've planted them in full sun. Yes. And you bought them locally from a local garden center, so you know that you've got um, you know a variety that's nice and hardy. Yes. Uh, Actually,
3: I bought and... them from the local there, so I'm assuming.
2: Mm. And of course you've got them growing up on a trellis.
3: Yes. They're they're covering the full trellis now. They're starting to come down the other side of it. Yeah,
2: yeah. Okay. Um I'm just trying to double I mean, I've never heard of grapes are usually so easy to grow. <clears throat> okay. Um just quickly looking here. So probably what we're gonna have to do is because we're getting right down to the last minute of the show, uh I'm going to start the show next week with uh, the story of grapes and how to produce, how to end up growing the best possible grapes in the world. So listen next Saturday, and I will do my homework, and we'll come back next week with the story of grapes. Okay? Thank you. Okie Thank you.
1: Stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> I will. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Charlie, I just, yes. want to give a, I just want to give a quick a shout out. When you were in Spain last week, um, I went to a plant sale. Yeah, the Collingwood Garden Club had okay. one at Trinity United Church. And I went in and, oh, my goodness, people everywhere, carts everywhere and people answering questions. And I got myself some cone flowers for the garden. And, uh, and I got myself uh, a type of a lily. I'll have, to, uh, I'll have to look it up. Like sort of more of a shrub lily. So, wow, you're really turning into a, a
2: green thumb kind of guy.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, you're making me into more of a green thumb kind of guy. So that's it. I always loved gardening. But uh, yeah, no, it was it was great fun. I enjoyed it.
2: Great. Okay, thanks, Dean. That's great. Good news. You'll have to report back on how that's doing. Thank you, Carlos. Thanks to all our great callers. Stay tuned next week for the story of the grape and keep your questions coming. See you then. The Garden Show
0: with Charlie Dobbin is brought to you by Stoke Seeds. Select from the finest quality vegetable and flower seed at Stoke Seeds. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air